to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. We will again start reading in verse number 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that he, we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, and whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we humbly come before you begging, Lord, that you'll feed us again from your word, that you will help us to collect and understand what has been given to us here in this verse of number four in regards to this great plan of salvation. We understand that our minds are feeble and weak, Lord, but we pray that you uh, strengthen us and pour out your spirit upon us and give us understanding this evening. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. We love you. We praise you. We magnify you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for your mercy. Hide me behind the cross this evening. May your word and your name be exalted among all. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, here in verse number four according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. When we left off this morning, we left off looking into this first sentence here, according as he hath chosen us in him. When we closed this morning, we discussed how this was in the aorist tense, which is basically to say it is written in the Greek form and it is to bring the reader to that this statement is a past tense statement. It is to say that this is something that has happened. It is not something that is not happening. It is not something that is yet going to happen. This has happened in before time. 
we are reminded that we was faced with this even in verse 3, who hath blessed us. This is also the same past tense with all spiritual blessings. It is that God had released from the vault of heaven not only His chosen degree into whom He would save, but He had released from the vault of heaven the blessings to which those whom He have chosen will receive. Now, it is not really done there. Now, though it may be done in this portion of the text in our mind, but by the time you make it to the book of Revelations in chapter 13 and verse 8, we're brought into another understanding. And this understanding that we're brought into there is that our names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Not only were we chosen by him before the foundation of the world, not only were we blessed with all spiritual blessings before the foundation of the world, but God with great surety of those in whom he has chosen, not only chose you, but he put your name down even before the world began. This is great as the mystery of God, how he works and how he chose, I cannot explain it. Now, some would go to say even that this great doctrine here that we have that God chose us, they believe that it completely squashes evangelism. They believe that because of this great doctrine that if I believed like that, they say, I would never go out soul winning. This is senseless. It's silly. We understand that Romans 10 and verse 13 says, for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a true statement, true. Yet, it is also true that he hath chosen us. Now, if you were to take time to study even what you could read about the Missionary Bible Society and many of the great missionary endeavors that was taken on the North American missionary endeavor, you will be surprised to see not about what it is today, but the people who established this were people who held to this same great doctrine that he chose us. Yet these great mission and Bible societies were started by them. See, it brings us to the understanding that the reality is, is that this doesn't squash our evangelism. It just proves the fact that people who lack a full understanding of it, it squashes in their minds the thought of evangelism. Now, this doctrine that we go and preach and that as the Great Commission says that we call the sinner to repentance to point them to Christ. And this is our commandment that we have received from the Lord, that this is exactly what we are supposed to do. But what I would challenge us here when we read this, when we, we, we read this text and we say, well, God chose them, why go? Remember the audience to which this book was written. It was written to believers. It was written to people who already knew the Lord. Why is this so important? Because Paul is trying to teach them 
something deep and great about their salvation, that there is a synergistic working happening here. That yet, while God chose you before the foundation of the world, God has chose the method of preaching to call those whom he's chosen out of the world into light through the message of the gospel. So, it is God's method to pull from the stocked pond with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is synergistically true. That while we are preaching, God has already chosen. Now, why did we say this morning that God had God not chosen some that heaven had, would have none? There is this question that continuously goes about in people's mind. Why did God choose? Why did he choose? We maul this over in our minds. Why would God ever choose some and, so to say, pass over others? This seems unjust in our minds. This seems unfair that this loving God would choose specific people. Uh, this is the truth of this, that had God not chosen some Simply put, man could have never chose God on his own. If it was left to us to choose, we would have never chose God. Matter of fact, what I hope to bring to our attention this evening is that not only would we have never chosen God, but we were incapable of choosing God. It was not even in us. How, we, how could we choose? Look again at this text according to as he hath chosen us in him. Now, Lord willing, if we are allowed to, to make it to this point, by the time we make it to Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, we see, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now, he quickened us, we're no longer dead, we're made alive because the Spirit has moved within us, because God has sent the Spirit to those whom he hath chosen. Now, we quickly run to that verse to remind ourselves that we were dead in the situation that we are in, but the Spirit then made us alive. Now, some like to say that you were dead in your sins, but you just had enough life in you to look to God, that you weren't completely dead. You weren't dead as in dead in a casket, but you were dead in your condition in sin. I beg to differ. You were dead, <laughs> and dead as in dead. The Bible goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Understand this. This first verse, this first sentence in this verse makes us clear to something that we must understand about the natural man. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. The natural man in the natural condition cannot understand the things of God. 
in that which he does here of the things of God. Paul goes on to say in Corinthians that those things are foolishness unto him. Now, let me propose a question to which we've seen at the beginning of this chapter in reference to what we've just seen here uh, in Corinthians that the natural man cannot receive the things of God. He cannot understand it. To him it is foolishness. If we go back up to verse 2 and 3, what do we understand about this great plan of salvation? We understand that this is what? This is God's plan. Uh, this is God's message. So then, we have to come to a reasonable conclusion. The reasonable conclusion is this. If the natural man cannot understand the things of God, he cannot discern it, it is foolishness unto him, then in the natural state, how can the natural man see his need for God if he cannot understand it? You see, this is the problem. We hear many people today said, in this natural state, I seen my need of God. I looked to him and he saved me. I turned my life around. Well then, I guess we have another question to which we must cross. If the Bible says that the natural man cannot understand the things of God, and yet we say that the natural man can see the things of God. The natural man can see the gospel. The natural man can see his need for God. The natural man can see his need for salvation. Then why do we have to be regenerated? See, this is the confusing matter. If we must be regenerated to see the things of God, then it makes sense to us that we must be regenerated. But if you do not need to be regenerated to see the things of God as the natural man, then why be regenerated at all? You see, there is a contradicting belief system here. We desperately need to be regenerated. Therefore, out of the natural man, so we can see the things of God. This is even a worse situation, really. By the time we make it to Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, not only does the Bible say in Corinthians that we can't understand the things of God, but by the time you make it to Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, you know what the Bible says? It says that we are at enmity with God. Not only do we not understand Him, what we understand about Him, we have endeavored to be at war with Him. Now, I don't know about you, but in my own personal life, in my growing up, when I viewed someone as an enemy, as I viewed them as an enemy, you would have never heard me say, I desperately need them in my life. We don't view opposition that way. How can we? Yet, the natural man is at war with God. That is the condition. He doesn't understand him. He doesn't even understand the things of God. He is at war with God. So, he goes on to say in another text in Corinthians, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to those whom are lost, to whom the God of this world hath blinded their eyes. If the gospel is hid today, 
it is hid to them who are lost. Reason this. If the gospel is hid, it's hidden to the lost, not to the saved. Meaning to say this, the lost cannot understand the hidden things of God. They cannot understand the gospel. So then what? Exactly. So then what? You're blind. You're at war with God. Not only are you blind and at war with God, you can't even understand the things of God. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 3 and 4, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now you see, the lost, they are blinded. The, the lost, the natural man, they can't even see the gospel. Because the God of this world has blinded them. So we're left in this natural state, blind, dead, and the truth hidden from us. Blinded by the God of this world, unable to comprehend, at enmity with God, at war with God. This is the condition of the natural man. This is the condition of the natural woman. And yet we will step back and say, in this very condition, I chose God. Absurd. We cannot choose God. We are incapable of choosing God. This is what makes this first sentence so exciting. According as he hath chosen us. <laughs> when I was unable to choose him, he chose me. Oh, when I was unable to look to him, he looked upon me. Well, explain to me how he looked down the portals of time. I can't. I can't, but it never the less just because I can't explain or reason with you how God looked down through time. It does not forsake the fact that he did. And in that he chose us. Well, blind is the condition. Blind is the spiritual condition to them that are in the natural state. Blind as a blind man is unable to explain what the ocean looks like. Blind is what a man is unable to explain what a building looks like. He's unable to explain the trees. He is even really to, unable to understand the existence of it because he lacks the ability to see it. We can even reason this even further. So to say, even in your own life, I grew up, in this church lost. How many times that I heard the gospel? How many Sunday school lessons? How many times had I heard those things? And yet I remained it in the, remained in the very same condition that I was in. Lost. Lost. All the way up until my early 20s, I remained lost. The God of this world had blinded my eyes to the desperate, my desperate need of the gospel. So here we go again with this. According as he hath chosen us. So we were blind, Paul says. Lest what? We were blind, lest to say, lest as to say, 
when he says here, lest, this is like to say, we were blind unless, <laughs> unless the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them, by whom shine the, the light into the darkness by his choosing, and makes clear the gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. This doctrine here, by understanding this, by understanding according as he hath chosen us. When you really grasp why God chose us, when you really understand why he must choose us, we will then understand the real consequences of sin. We by sin, through sin, through Adam, through the inherited sin nature upon our birth, was separated from God. We was not somewhat separated. We was not connected by a shoestring. The lineage was separated completely from God. So he says, unless, lest, unless God, and unless God, unless God chose us, there would be no hope for mankind. We have been separated from God in sin. We are utterly helpless in salvation. So our text says, now you maybe even understand more why Paul has put this sentence in a doxology of praise to God. Why this and he hath chosen us is considered praise. Because Paul has understood the real consequences of sin. Paul has understood exactly where he was, unless God. So he offers up praise here in this sentence. There was only one option for fallen man, and that was God must choose. You know, most of us don't like in the somewhat of the natural state, the carnal state, we don't like this idea that God chose us. When I was first saved, I can remember many debates over the reality that I wanted to believe that I chose God. And because we, in some way, in some manner, like this thought process that we are in control of our final destination, that we are in control of this Choosing that we are somehow still in control of our lives. And it is the farthest thing from truth. I said even earlier, and just to recap on this thought, this thought chosen, it is past tense, it is reflexive. It is to say that he picked us for himself, not because of you, because we know what the Bible says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 and 7, it is not by works of righteousness which we have done. It is reflexive that God chose us for his own will and pleasure. So Paul begins this praise, praising God for the Damascus Road experience in which God arrested him. He is praising God that in the darkness that God put the glorious light from heaven to shine down upon him, arrested him, and saved him in that very moment. Now, moving forward, we see this people in the choosing. According as he hath chosen us, 
us. You know, it is a simple thought, but it is the truth of it. This us is all that would ever belong to God. All that would ever belong to God has been chosen by God. There is none that belong to God that will ever belong to God that was not ever chosen by God before the foundations of the world. Now, we were chosen by God, but the next part of this is we see the people in this, the people in the choosing, but then we see the placement of this choosing. We were placed in him, meaning in Christ. I think this is a blessed key to Paul's writing here, that we are now in Christ. Before we were bound to sin in Adam, we were not only bound to sin, we were bound by sin. But God, who is rich in mercy, has grafted us to the, into the vine, and now we are found in Christ. Being found in Adam speaks of failure. Being found in Adam speaks of bondage. Being found in Adam speaks of hopelessness. Being bound in Adam speaks of our need of a deliverer. It speaks of being blinded, needing help. But Paul's great joy says, we are now been chosen by him in Christ. He is saying we have been separated from the lineage of our birth. We have been separated from the line of Adam. We are now found in Christ. In Adam, there was a continual need of sacrifice. In Christ, there is no more need for sacrifices. In Christ, the place in which we all merit is removed. In Adam, it was the thought of the law that we must do this and we must do that. In Christ, all merit is removed. In Christ, we are just that and that alone. In Him. There is nothing else for us in position except to be in the position of being in Christ. Now we see the period of this choosing. He says, before the foundation of the world. This is a mystery here. I think if we really try to wrap our minds around it and understand that before time, before earth, before space, before matter, there was God who was choosing after time was created, after space was created, after matter was created, after earth was created, after 6,000 years of time was created, God chose me all that time down the road. You know, it's hard for us to really understand because we are taking it in that God is infinite and we are finite. We can't fully understand it because everything we do is in relation to time. It's time to get up. It's time to get off work. It's time to eat lunch. It's uh, time for dinner. Time rules our lives. We function in the sense of time. We express ourselves in the sense of time. Do we not? We say, I was going to do that. I am going to do that. I will be doing that. It is all in the sense of time. This is our great expression. God's great expression for his people is that I chose you past tense before time. I 
prepared a place for you before time. I did all of these things. I blessed you before time. In John chapter 8 and verse 58, as Jesus was speaking to his enemies, because he said to them before Abraham was, I am. He did not say before Abraham was, he was. No, he was making a Christological statement, I suppose you could say, that Christ existed in and with God the Father for all eternity. Before all of us, he was. Well, this brings us to a deeper understanding according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, the time of this choosing was before the foundation of the world. Does this not to you bring or do something for your sense of identity in Christ? That you weren't some second thought? That God, before the foundations of the world, seen you and chose you? Were no second thought to be a part of the kingdom of God? There, even more, are world is ran in classes. We hear at the lower class, the middle class, the upper class, there is no second class citizen in Christ, in heaven, in the kingdom of God. We are all chosen the same before the foundations of the world. Now, we are all equal, chosen of the Father, selected to be members of the family, added to the new creation before the foundation of the world. So we see again, blessed before the foundations of the world, chosen before the foundations of the world, chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. And for most of us who may have remembered our study when we began to study in John chapter 14 about heaven, even further in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said this in 25 and verse 35, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Not only has God chosen you, not only has God blessed you, not only has God chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world, but he planned a place for you from the foundation of the world. What is the confusing matter about a God who chooses his people? If you really take in all that God has chosen and all that God has planned, and we try to extract our salvation at that moment, it kind of feels like we're doing something extremely wrong. It's like out of place because God is sovereign in all of this. Now, lastly, The purpose of this choosing, according as he hath chosen us before him in the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What is the purpose of this? What is the purpose of God choosing all of this? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That through this choosing, wonderful that through God's choosing of us in Christ that through this grand choosing all wrong could be made right 
that through this choosing of us in Christ, he would correct all the consequences of sin spiritually. That is the purpose of this choosing, that the wrong in the world would be made right. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested. Catch this. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So that he may des might destroy what? That he might destroy the works of the devil. Where? In us that we would be free from the bondage of sin. Why is this so important? Because if God being, if Christ being manifested destroys the works of the devil, then the last sentence here makes complete sense. That in Christ, we could actually be found holy and without blame before him. But if Christ does not free us, then this is an impossibility. If our sins are not covered under what Christ has done, we are without hope. But if we are found in Christ, then the last sentence makes all the sense in the world that we can truly be found before God without blemish, holy before God. Now, remember, holy. Holy, he says. Now, he does not say God chose us because we were holy. No. God chose us so that we could be holy. Should, that we should be holy and without blame before him. Notice this, that we should be holy. This, that we should be holy, that is the present tense. It is that we should be holy today. It is that we should be holy tomorrow. Remember, as I said, remember this for this evening, this morning, what we read in John chapter 17, that Christ's prayer to God is that as him and the Father are one, so that we could experience what he experiences with God the Father, that we are one in Christ. Now, we recognize in John chapter 17, when Christ prayed, where was he? He was on earth. Yet, he was found before God in prayer. This is to say that if we are going to be found holy before God, it is to say that we will be continuously finding ourselves, presenting ourselves before God through Christ as our mediator. Notice what else he says here. That we should be without blame before him. Blame, we know, means blemish. means to be without spot. It brings us back to the Old Testament when these lambs, these little ewe lambs were offered up for a sacrifice. If the ewe lambs that was offered up for a sacrifice had a blemish on it, a spot on it, it was rejected. It was not a suitable sacrifice to be used. 
So when we view our own lives and we read this word that we should be holy and without blame, we immediately tremble in our seats. So to say that we would ever think that we could ever go before God without blemish, without sin in our lives. My own personal observation of this is that the reason that Paul puts this here in our minds is to banish anything in our minds that believe that second best when it comes to serving God is acceptable. It is not. We should strive to be holy without blame, without blemish, without sin, without spots, without that in our lives. Well, how could this ever be? Well, that really brings about the second part, that we should continually find ourselves before God, in, uh, counting on the Lord in His intercessory work, requesting forgiveness of our sins. There in that forgiveness we can be before Him, without blemish, without spot. It brings us to this place here that we are in desperate need even after salvation. We are in desperate need of Christ's atoning work and forgiving work on Calvary so that we could even be holy and blameless before God. Now notice lastly here, in love that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, there is an argument between many commentators that they believe that, remember, verses 3 through 14 is one continual sentence in the original text. So many like to argue 50% on one side, maybe 50% on the other, that when it says being holy and blamed before him in love, some like to say that that sentence, those two words, in love, really belongs to verse 5, in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption by Jesus Christ. But I do not believe so. This is why. Being holy and without blame before him in love. Why would this be so important now? This is really the apex to me of verse 4. That this is it. Now that God has chosen us. And that we are now in Christ. We are now presented without blame and holy. Before God in love. Why? Because he chose us. Remember, the natural man is at war with God. But after Christ, we are now in love. We now love the things of God. Before God in the natural state, the things of God afflicted us, bothered us. We didn't want to hear it. We didn't want the foolishness of the gospel. We called the people who went to church cop members. But now, the desire to be holy, the desire to be blameless, we, com we continue to try to do this in love. Why? Because we love God. Because why? He first loved us. This is where we are. Christ filled the gap in which sin separated. We are now in love. The natural man hates God. 
Now, we, 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 we look at people, even when it comes to our sweet grandmothers, I'm not picking on anybody's grandmothers, but we look at our sweet grandmothers who's loved us our entire lives, and yet they do not like this message in the deep parts of their heart, whether you like to acknowledge it or not, whether they treated you the greatest way of all times, they were the most loving person to you of all times, in the natural heart, they hate the things of God. In the rejection of the gospel message, you hate the things of God. In the things that we think and view of God, when we say, well, this is not for me. I appreciate you, but it's not for me. What is that? Well, at the deepest root, it's a hatred for the things of God. So we ask ourselves here about this doctrine here, this doctrine of election. It is of the simple truth that we in the natural state are incapable of choosing God, which brings us to this place that if God does not act, we will continue our lives separated from God. Praise God, Paul says, that he chose us. Because had he not chose us, Paul would have continued to persecuting Christians. I would have continued my road. You would have continued your road. But... Because God divinely intervened in our lives, we are all gathered here today learning more of God's word. I don't know about you, but the day that God saved me, December 28, 2008, I did not wake up that morning thinking, you know what, today's a good day to get saved. I didn't even know it was on schedule. But when 1030 at night rolled around and the spirit landed upon me, I knew I was in desperate need, and I also knew there was another active agent in my life because nobody was there to preach, but the word of God became real in my life. Think about that. The day you were saved, did you wake up planning that? Did you wake up saying, you know, that's today's the day? Oh, what happened? God moved. It was of his sovereign choice that we are saved, and it is the affections of humanity in our life that causes us at times to refuse his sovereign choice. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father, we give thanks to you for all that you've done, Lord. We give thanks to you for your word, Lord. We, we lift it up and we magnify it, Lord. I pray that, um, that you'll if there be someone here that maybe even struggles with this, Lord, that you give them a heart to study it out, Lord, that you unveil your word to them, Lord. I know myself being there, it took a time of studying and praying and reading to see the truths of your word. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. We praise you and lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen.